Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. I wanted to sit there and listen longer because that's one of my favorite recent uh, worship tunes. If they can do it, so can I. Kind of like along the lines of the rocks cry out, right? Yeah. So here we are. We have uh, next Sunday we'll be focusing on Thanksgiving and we're uh, continuing in our series that we've been in the book of Acts. Today's uh, message is entitled, Not Just for Apostles Anymore. Not Just for Apostles Anymore. On a theological level, we live in a world in Western Christianity that basically has a deep division between two sides. Now, one of the most obvious is Protestant Catholic. That's one of the deep divisions. But theologically is the idea that everything that the apostles did, the demonstration of the power of God, all of that stuff, that that all ceased when the Bible was written. When the Bible was compiled, there's a, there's, so there's a huge group within Christianity that believes that there is no power of God, no healing, all this other stuff. That's not for today. One way to summarize it, they say that's just not for today that that passed away with the last apostle. Now, what's ironic is as you look at Jesus' ministry, we've been doing this in Truth Seekers on our morning devotions. Jesus was always wanting to involve the most amount of people in the ministry, and we're talking about in grace being shared with people. He was wanting to push his ministry out to the grassroots level, and he was wanting the least amongst them to be used mightily by God. He would even have the audacity of saying, greater things will you do because I'm going to go to my Father. I'm going to be there interceding. And he was, if you think about it, Jesus only did two kinds of miracles in Jerusalem. And yet Peter and the apostles were doing amazing miracles in Jerusalem that Jesus never did. It kicks off with the healing of the man at the temple gate beautiful and it just grows into a powerful crescendo and sweeps across Jerusalem but it's after Jesus has given his life has been laid in a borrowed tomb has been raised again on the third day has visited with them for 40 days then after 10 days later uh, after his ascension into heaven they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and what starts to happen heaven begins to break loose in Jerusalem The power of God is demonstrated so powerfully in Jerusalem that the disciples themselves, who are then called apostles, are doing, it says, great miracles. It says all of them were doing great miracles in Jerusalem. Now, last week we met, through through a difficulty in the church, a group of people who are elected to take care of the feeding and distribution ministry of of feeding of the widows. The perception was, or maybe the reality was, that the Greek widows were being overlooked in order to cater to the Hebrew uh, widows, maybe the natives to Jerusalem. And so these men are picked out, seven of them. The one that's most prominent is by the name of Stephen, and he is a man of the power of the Spirit. He's enthusiastic, he's a capable leader. And what happens? 
greater things begin to happen in Jerusalem because the apostles are not sidetracked into this ministry and other people step up and begin to do ministry and it begins to push even further towards the grassroots. And as this is happening, we're going to encounter something powerful in these next couple verses, not just for apostles anymore. Anybody in this room an apostle? See, that's often what we do. We read the New Testament and we do two things. One, we say that's Jesus. He's special so he can do that. Here's the next thing we do. Those men were apostles and they were with Jesus and they can do special things because they were with Jesus historically. And if we're not careful, we have this thing that happens in our heart, maybe in our minds, and we say, that was then, but this is now. And what we need to do in a New Testament church In a book of Acts church, a church that's still walking in the anointing of the Spirit and believing God for the touch of His grace is we have to stand on a foundation which is it's not just for apostles anymore. It's whoever is amongst you, whoever believes. Jesus said nothing will be impossible to the one who believes. Jesus was trying to push it out to everyone. It was religious leadership. It was even the disciples who were trying to keep it all with the the 12, with the most important. But we find that the presence of the Holy Spirit and the emphasis of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in the book of Acts is to move this out into the grassroots. Now, who's the grassroots? That's us. Look around. You don't get more grassroots than this. These are the people that are the plain vanilla believers. Their name is not a household uh, name. Not everybody knows about you. For some of you, you feel crushed. Some of you feel relieved. Not everybody knows about me. That this movement of grace and this ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just for apostles anymore, which means it's for all of us. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may receive. Whosoever believes These things will not be withheld from them, and great and mighty things can be done on our behalf and in our lives simply because Jesus is no respecter of persons. The power of the Holy Spirit is available for everyone, Jew or Gentile, to as many as believe. In fact, isn't it John that says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God of God. Wow. Wow. Just look around this room. How many of you are believers? Then that means you're sons and daughters of the Most High God, which means you're positioned uniquely amongst everyone else on the earth, close to the presence of God, in proximity to His grace, and on the edge of a miracle. Amen? Amen. Well, with that introduction, we'll go on. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Notice there's no other title there. It doesn't even say deacon. It doesn't say newly elected leader within the church. It doesn't say that. It doesn't hang a title on him, mostly because there is no title. He has simply taken on the task of serving the widows of the church which is important and close to God's heart. And now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. What did he do? He performed great wonders 
and signs among the people. Now think about that. If we took the name Stephen and put your name in there, maybe it would be easy for you to say, oh, now the pastor, a man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. But what if we were to dare to believe it wasn't just for apostles anymore and we dared to put our own name there? A man, a woman, full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Wow. Doesn't say apostle, does it? Doesn't say prophet. Doesn't say pastor. Doesn't say evangelist. Doesn't say teacher. This is someone who's been picked by the people, but has been given the same Holy Spirit that's available to every believer who is anointed and steps into this place and he's willing to believe God and work with God in ministry. You see, Stephen shatters the idea that only the innermost hand-picked could be involved in miracles. Jesus longed to shatter that ideal. He had to start in discipleship with the inner 12. But he finds himself at the end of three years saying, have I been with you this long and you still don't know? He's amazed when his disciples that he's poured three years into do not get something but a Syrophoenician woman who has only heard through the grapevine can put it together. When he can go to a centurion's house and, the, and as he's on the way and wants to come to the centurion's house, the centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. I am also a man under authority. And I say to one, go do this, and he does it. I say to another one, come, and they come. If you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I have not seen such faith. No, not anywhere in Israel. And if you listen carefully what he's saying, not in Peter, not in Andrew, not in Bartholomew, not in Judas, not in any of this group that had been with me traveling and watching and listening to my every word and I've been pouring into their life every day, here is a Roman centurion who gets it when my my own guys don't. There's hope for us, isn't there? Aren't you glad Jesus is patient? Wow. So here we have Stephen, who himself possibly is Greek. He certainly is possibly Jewish, but he's been raised Greek, speaking Greek, living in the Greek world, not a part of the synagogue in Jerusalem, not a part of the inner workings of Judaism. He's been rather on the outs because he's part of the diaspora. And here, this Hellenistic believer, this possibly a Jew who's lived in the Greek world, and so he's really not been accepted into the Jewish world, or a Gentile who certainly has not been accepted into the Jewish world, he shatters this idea. He stands here in Scripture. Why did Luke include him? Why did Luke bring our attention to Stephen? Why does he bring us through this dilemma and over here to Stephen? I believe he does this so that we can understand that Jesus was wanting to shatter this idea forever. It's not just about the innermost hand-picked people who can be involved in miracles. It's open and available to whosoever will. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? That's Give him a, a thanksgiving clap right there. A human full 
of God's grace and power. How many of you like to have that descriptor beside your name? Yeah, that's a great epitaph. If when they bury me on the gravestone, this is not a request, because if I don't live up to this, you don't put it on there. A human full of God's grace and power. I just love the way those things are put together. A human full of God's grace and power. That's a great difference maker, isn't it? We often get caught up in, I can't do that. I can't rise to that level. I can't perform like that. I can't do that. Well, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, through the anointing, through the presence of the grace of God, which gives me strength. And here's Stephen, who has found this out, who lives enthusiastically, full of the power of God, and spilling that power on those around him. And there are great miracles happening in his life. I'm so glad the disciples didn't run to him and say, you cut that out. You're supposed to be taking care of the widows. You're getting out of your lane. Stay in your lane, Stephen. Stay in your lane. Let us apostles go and do the great works, and you stay in your lane to make sure the widows have enough to eat. No, I'm so glad Peter's learned his lesson. Aren't you? I'm so glad these guys haven't been rebuking him and acting towards Stephen like they did towards the children. No, you guys knock it off. Quit bringing your children and bothering Jesus. No, here's Stephen, and something's powerful happening. Going on, it says, opposition arose. There, there it is again. Now, you would think when there's great signs and wonders and displays of the power of God that that would silence the opposition. But how many of you know the enemy doesn't like that? And people who have a form of godliness but deny the power, they don't like the displays of the power of God. It brings a sense of conviction upon their heart that says, why do we not have this going on in our ministry? The Pharisees felt that way with Jesus. The Sadducees certainly felt that way with Jesus. The teachers of the law felt that way. The Herodians felt that way. And now it says opposition arose. However, now this is a very particular opposition. It doesn't single out the Sanhedrin at this point. It doesn't point to the Pharisees or Sadducees. The usual suspects are not the ones who are opposing here. It says this. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Who are these? These are the Jews of the diaspora who are part of the Hellenistic community that they are they are Jews but they speak Greek, write Greek, understand Greek, and have to be taught Hebrew. Hebrew is their second language, not their first language. And they have felt such pressure, and they have taken such pride in the fact that they have lived at large in the world. They have their own synagogue. Kind of reminds me of the fellow who who fell overboard from a, a cruise ship. He managed to make it to an island it took a couple weeks and there was extensive searching they finally locate that island as they come they see that there is a small thatched roof hut and then there are two more side by side a little bit bigger and when they go to pick him up they said what's going on she says well that's where i live he says well what's right next to that he says that's where i went to church 
Why is there another one right beside that? He said, I didn't get along with the preacher. (laughs) There are times when churches multiply because the Lord of the harvest has put the spirit of multiplication in them and they plant churches and they multiply. But how many of you know some churches divide? And they divide over, as we've talked about, some of those petty things, those easy things which can divide us. And they get into divisions. Here is an example of a division. They were different than the other Jews. They were from the Greek-speaking world. So they were forced to and were delighted to have their own synagogue. What is the likelihood, I think it's great, that Stephen had been a member of that synagogue? These were his people. These were the people that understood what it was like to be outside of the land of Israel, what it was like to try to remain being a Jew in a Greek world. And now those people that had been through thick and thin with Stephen, what happens? They turn on him. The people that maybe you think, I can lean on the most and trust the most, they began to argue with Stephen. An argument breaks out. A dispute breaks out what do you think it was over he's being used powerfully with signs and wonders not not when the grace of god starts moving in somebody's lives somebody's life very often it brings argumentation and division because people don't understand because people don't accept that because people are sessionists they believe that that stopped way back there What are you doing? What are you doing praying for people? What are you doing expecting for miracles? What are you doing? And they have all these arguments that they bring against you. Well, they brought those against Stephen. So let's just face the facts. Opposition from your own is what often happens. You know what is the toughest thing to do, especially in a family-focused church, when you have a lot of families and a lot of large families and people are intermarried? It's hard for revival to break out because somebody is going to step out into the grace of God and they're going to have a sibling or a cousin who is there to remind them of the ornery things they did in youth group. They're they're saying basically, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are stepping out and being used by God? Who do you think you are be receiving a call upon your life and leading the church that you used to desecrate regularly as a kid? You've run through these halls. You've acted this way. We remember when you sinned, and they can name your sins. This is what's going on. Hey, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are stepping up? Who do you think you are getting serious about God? Who do you think you are taking it to a whole new level? And here's something we can remember, though. An argument is always a loser against an experience. Well, what do I mean? Well, when somebody says, God doesn't heal today. And then you can pull out an x-ray. And you can show them one day and then the next day and put the x-rays side by side. They've all been date stamped, notarized, and signed. A doctor has written... an an article along with it and said, I don't know how to explain this. All I know is this shattered bone was completely whole the next day. That does not happen naturally. Here's 
here is the mass that was stage four cancer. Here it is gone, and there's healthy tissue in its place. I don't know how to explain this. All I can say is this can't naturally happen. On and on the stories go. The diseases, the prognosis, the broken bones, uh, the sickness, or somebody who lacks an eyeball in their socket, and somebody lays hands on them and prays for them in an African revival, and a new eyeball is formed in the socket. Or somebody stands there, has horrible cataracts that cover their eyes completely. They have white eyeballs, they're so cataract. And somebody lays hands upon them and prays, and when they get done, they watch the cataract dissolve, replaced with beautiful brown eyes, beautiful green eyes, beautiful... And they shout and they run and they say, I I was blinded by cataracts. Now I can see perfectly. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Somebody's got to step out. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to up their game. Somebody's got to say, you know what? I believe God. And when you have that, the argument fails. Okay, what are you going to do with this, Mr. Arguer? You want facts? Here's your facts. You respect doctors? Here's the doctor's report. And how many of you know that a miracle of God always can stand up to inspection? It doesn't get ruined if you inspect it. Just be ready. When you step up, step out, and believe God, you're going to receive opposition, and it's it's not just directly from the devil, but it can come directly from well-meaning and well-intentioned people. It can even come from a theologian who would dare say, I don't know what happened, but that's not biblical because that all ended with the apostles. No, I'm going to take a different position this morning. I like this. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. What was the prerequisites for the job? Full of the Holy Spirit, even of wisdom. What does that mean? He understands and gets the ways of God. Do you know that God's ways are not your ways? And his thoughts are not your thoughts? Do you know that his thoughts and his ways are higher above the earth than the sky is above the earth? They're beyond finding out on your own. But do you know how you can connect with the ideas of God, the ways of God, the thoughts of God, and the principles of God? by prayer and by his word they have to be revealed they're given to us as a download from the unseen realm into our spirit and we simply know that we know how many of you have ever had something happen you just know that you know you've had that revelation that moment of insight what is that that's maybe a word of wisdom god has given you an insight in that moment and i'll tell you something when you lay that out there Nothing on this world can stand up against that. No argument formed can prosper against that. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. The wisdom which comes from God is superior in every way. Don't be afraid. No philosopher on this earth can defeat it. It's the wisdom of God. Don't be afraid. No scientific test can refute it. Because it's the wisdom of God who has created everything physically and spiritually. Don't be afraid. 
It's just an argument. And he tells us that he can pull down every thought and every argument which exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. We can flow in that wisdom, move in that wisdom, and we can have peace in that wisdom because we know something. God's wisdom is greater. God's word is greater. God's understanding is greater because he is the creator of all things. So then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Does this sound familiar? Did they do this to Jesus? Didn't Jesus warn them? He said, look, they've done dirty tricks against me. They're going to do dirty tricks against you. If they can't deal with your argument, if they can't deal with the truth, then they're going to start assassinating you personally. And what's the most effective way to assassinate a Hellenistic Jew by the name of Stephen than to go and start speaking these words? We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. You know, people will just make stuff up. You know, I've had that happen a few times in my ministry life where somebody could not take anything that I had said or done and use it against me. So what did they do? They invented a story that was so bizarre and fantastic. I thought, where did they come up with that? And why did they do that? It's because they couldn't refute what was said or done and what the Holy Spirit was doing and so they wanted to attack me personally, and they did. And they made up a story and pushed it in the community and did everything they could to damage me personally. But anybody who knew me knew I had not said that, knew I had not done that. Where does that come from? It comes from our enemy. It comes from our human nature. And you know what? They did it to Jesus, and they did it to a man by the name of Stephen who wasn't even an apostle, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. And what do we know? That if we go after God, we're going to get opposition. So just get ready. They did it to Jesus. They will do it to Stephen. I didn't put this part up here because I thought it wouldn't cheer you up. But here's the reality. And they'll do it to you. Okay? If they did it to Jesus, did it to Stephen, they'll do it to you. Because it's not about you. It's about them before God. And they're trying to improve their position without the benefit of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Wow, how desperate they must be. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. So now they bring in the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Has it come to this? Yeah, it's come to this. They probably didn't even like the Sanhedrin because they were Hellenistic Jews and they were always reminded of how they lived outside of the province and provenance of Israel. So they came to this. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So here's the warning. Stirred up people are not operating from their carefully thinking brain. Isn't that a great general principle for life? Stirred up people are not operating from their carefully thinking brain. If you get somebody up 
if you get somebody worked up, they start bypassing the part of their brain that lets them make decisions carefully. How many of you have ever been excited about something and so you thought, I went and bought that and I wasn't even thinking? Huh? Why? It worked. The packaging worked. They got you to get past your nose and somehow go, I'm just so excited, i got to buy this right now. It's got easy payments. I've never had a payment I've made that was easy. Never. I don't care how small. It kills me every time. When they get people angry, if somebody can get you extremely happy, excited, or angry, they can get you to make decisions that are not wise decisions. And you'll go back later when you calm down and you'll go, what was I thinking? You weren't thinking. You weren't. You were feeling, but you weren't thinking. Some say you might have moved into your animal brain because that little gatekeeper up there goes, wait a minute, can we talk about this? Let's weigh this. Let's be wise in this decision. Nah, this, this, look, here's our opportunity. Let's do it. Only live once, right? And off we go. Stirred up people, the mob, the crowd are not operating from their carefully thinking brain. Be careful. Don't join the mob. Don't join the crowd because they're operating out of their animal brain. They are not operating out of a wisdom part of their mind. So these stirred up people are not operating from their carefully thinking. Do you remember last time a big crowd was stirred up in the Acts? What did they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children and our children's children. We have no king but Caesar. Wow. They, it says that some men went through the crowd and stirred them up. Don't let the enemy stir you up. Don't let your emotions stir you up. Don't let your concerns stir you up. Don't let your fears stir you up. Let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus and operate out of the wisdom of God. So here's what they did. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. That The total opposite is true. Stephen is pointing to the message that everything that we've been given by God is fulfilled in Jesus. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses hand down to us. What did they do? They lied. They totally made it up because it would inflame the crowd. When you are walking in the truth, listen to this, only false can be brought against you. If you're walking in the truth, they have to come up with the most cockamamie stories to try to indict you because they don't have anything to nail you with. Isn't that amazing how Stephen lived such a way that they had to come up with this kind of story? All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. Now, why are they looking intently at Stephen? Because he's being accused 
and they're watching for signs of guilt on his face. How many of you know your face tells on you? Do you ever hear what a tell is? In the gambling world, especially in poker, they do things like wear sunglasses. Why are they sitting there wearing sunglasses at that table? Because they don't want anyone seeing their eyes. Why? Because when they're bluffing, in other words, lying, knowing that in my hand I do not have the cards I want everybody to think I have, then I want them to believe my bluff. And I'm going to use a bluff because I don't have the cards. And so what do they do? They cover their tells. They hide their tells because our face and our eyes tells on us. Amen? That's why as parents we take our kids and say, look me in the eye now, darling. Now tell me that story again. And we watch for which way their eyes dart. Scientists tell us that if it darts a certain way, they're going to the part of their brain that's making up a lie. The creative part of their brain. They're not telling you the straight scoop. And so here's what they're doing. They have become human lie detectors and they're watching like a hawk what Stephen is doing while these accusations are being said. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. He's being investigated. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. No worry lines, no stress. He's just sitting there knowing that he has simply gone for the grace of God, has gone for the reputation of Jesus, and that there's great miracles happening in his life, and God is getting the glory, and people are being converted and coming to Jesus, and he's not guilty of anything they have claimed, not even close. And they look at him, and it says he has the face of an angel. We're not talking about a cherubic baby. We're talking about that face that they could see with King David, that the anointing of the Lord was upon him, and he was so wise that when he opened his mouth, he spoke as if he was speaking from a word from an angel. They knew he's got the real goods. He's got the real deal. There's no tells, no faking. This man is genuine, and the favor of God is upon him. Wow. Truth and innocence are the best facials. Hello? All the ladies should get that. The men are saying, what? I don't get any facials. The best treatment you could ever give your face is to walk in truth and innocence. It will allow the glory of God to rest upon you. And there's something amazing about our eyes and our face that we can actually reflect the presence of God that people can look upon our faces and recognize there's something different about you. I see something in your eyes. I see it on your face. Truth and innocence are the best facials. So here's something for us to get before the Lord on as we worship and as we prepare our heart before Him this morning. How can I... See, it's not just for apostles anymore. So if it's not just for apostles anymore, that means it's for me now. Hello? Let's personalize that. Let's say that out loud. This is all for me now. Yeah. 
this grace can be in my life. This grace can be through my life. This grace can reflect because Jesus wants it out in the grassroots, and that's where I live. Amen? I'm out here in plain vanilla land. I'm living out here in flyover country. My name is definitely not a household word, but it's out here in amongst the people that he wants his great grace to be revealed. So here's the big question that we can get in our heart and ask before the Holy Spirit. How can I become full of grace and power? How can I be full of grace and power? And then this. How can I be more willing to face opposition from my own? That's not a real happy thought, is it? But how can I be more willing to not avoid it, but to properly face opposition from my own synagogue, from my own people, from the people that I've traveled with to come to the feast in Jerusalem, the people that I've known because we live over there in the land of modern Turkey, a long way from the land of Israel in those days, that I live somewhere in the Greek civilization. I write Greek, read Greek, understand Greek, and these people always criticize me because when I pronounce Hebrew, they know I'm foreign. And yet, I'm supposed to belong. Somehow I don't fit here. How can I be more willing to face opposition from my own people, my own kin, my own family, my own siblings, those that are around me in my own church? How can I face the criticism, the resistance, the pressure? That's what Stephen had to ask. And I think he answered it pretty well, didn't he? And may the Lord help us to find the answer to that for our life. So how can I become full of grace and power? Is God willing? Just about us moving close. He says, you pursue me, you'll find me. You'll knock, it'll be open. You seek, it'll be, you'll be found. We just have to get after him. But here's something that can hold us back. How can I be more willing to face some opposition and face it in a way that honors him? glorifies him that's where the rubber meets the road because we instinctively know boy when i step out when i become a fanatic when i really dig in when i start to fast and pray when i pursue god there's going to be other people who notice and they're not all my fans some of them will oppose me don't be afraid of them jesus said be of good cheer i've overcome the world he has an answer for them, and it's not crass. It's an answer of peace. He can teach you. He says, in that moment, I'll be with you, and I'll tell you what to say. Isn't that great? So don't let the opposition keep you from it not just pertaining to apostles anymore. It's not just for apostles anymore. It's for me. Let's all say that again. It's for me. This grace is for me. This ministry of Jesus is for me. It's for us. It's for his church that we can step into the place that he's called us. How do you like that? A guy who leads the feeding of the widows and becomes the nondescript man full of the grace and power of God. And he's doing mighty miracles in Jerusalem. And he's, he's from the Greek-speaking area of the world and has a funny accent. But God uses him in the heart of Jerusalem in a way that was mightier amongst the people than anything that Jesus himself had done.
Think about that. Jesus is willing to share the grace around, isn't he? So, Lord, we bow before you. Thank you for today to being together and worshiping all together, being encouraged just by being in one another's presence and in your presence. Lord, we're just asking for an intensification of grace in our lives that we just become so hungry and so thirsty that we just pursue you and not be afraid of those that will oppose us, even if it's somebody close, that we can have an answer of peace and an answer of love and an answer of truth for them, but that we can ask this question, this number one question, how can we at Vision Church, how can I as a pastor, how can we as people of the church, plain vanilla people in flyover country Texas, how can we become full of grace and power? If you are willing to do it in Stephen, you're willing to do it in us. And we ask, Lord, that you do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. The Lord bless you as you go. Have a great day. Ladies, 4 o'clock Bible study. Guys, five, 4 o'clock Bible study. Until then, Lord bless you. Have a great afternoon.